the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. For sports fans, there's no better place to get breaking news, real time commentary, and powerful stories than The Athletic. With comprehensive coverage and insightful analysis built around your teams, The Athletic delivers everything you need in every sports story that matters. Download the app and get a personalized feed of exclusive ad free content. Visit theathletic.com slash spottrack today and get 40% off your first year subscription. That's theathletic.com slash spottrack. My name is Mike Gennetti. Happy NFL Cutdown Day. Initial 53-man rosters are being formulated as we speak. I'll be frantically trying to update those as soon as I'm off this microphone. Here's the deal today. Scott Allen is going to bring a bunch of real nerdy NFL questions financial questions. So what is dead cap? How does top 51 work? What's the practice squad situation with pay? How are some bonuses treated? How are extensions treated? Really in-depth stuff that I uh, hope I can shed some light on for the majority of you out there. And certainly if I miss anything, please find me on Twitter at SpotTrack. Happy to answer those kind of questions at any point in time. Before that, a little bit of Cam Newton. Of course, that's the big cut today. Um, Not super unexpected, but does have some ramifications. There are some dead cap ramifications from cash ramifications. And if he signs elsewhere, there's offset language as well. So I'll break that down with Scott in just a little bit here. Today's episode is also brought to you by Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment, serving the unique wealth management needs of athletes and top professionals in the entire entertainment industry. Visit morganstanley.com GSE to learn more about their pre and post draft loan program. That's morganstanley.com GSE. All right, Scott, it's NFL Cutdown Day. There's a lot to unpack here. I'm not going to do it here. <laughs> I'm not, not going to sit here and try to talk about notable names that are released. Here's why. Two reasons. A, there's a ton. B, a lot of these guys are coming back, either on practice squads, on another roster. They, weren't actually, they aren't actually released yet or waived yet because a lot of teams throw out, hey, we're going to get rid of this guy, and then four teams call for a seventh-round pick trade. Nothing's official until 4 p.m. until everything is documented through the league. So I'm kind of pumping the brakes on running through the rat race here. And I'm certainly not going to speak to it yet until we can understand a little bit more. But with that said, we have to talk Cam Newton. (laughs) um, Yeah, it's not it's not a surprise. I don't think I mean, they got they got beat out and there wasn't a contract in place that prevented the, the Patriots from doing anything, keeping him, removing him, trading him. It was a standard slightly above average backup quarterback contract with, you know, with almost fully guaranteed with plenty of incentives. I I guess I'm speaking for both of us here though. Maybe, maybe quickly. Were you surprised that it happened this way? I am. I was surprised when I saw it come through. Okay. Did you think he's tradable? Did you think they were just going to keep him for the run and maybe go back and forth with the quarterbacks? Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I guess I assumed that they were going to at least start the season with him instead of just throwing Mac to the fire. Yeah. And uh, I guess whatever the Patriots staff have seen, they've seen enough to, to go in that direction and cut ties with a, a veteran quarterback. And, you know, maybe, maybe to a certain extent it was mutual because, you know, there's other teams that are probably looking for a viable backup and will take a chance at Cam. But I, I was shocked for the fact that 
you want to have a veteran guy behind a rookie and the fact that they outright released him and didn't even try to get a sixth or a seventh round pick for him is kind of surprising. Yeah, they didn't even try to trade him. That report came out quickly afterwards. Is this more about Cam or more about Mac Jones? Mm, That's a good question. (laughs) I'm going to say it's more about Cam. Yeah, it seems that way. I know a lot of people are trying not to say that. Because it's easy just to say, all right, it's the, it's the kid's time. It's Mac Jones' time. He's done enough, like you said. But Cam got outplayed. Cam had a COVID stint that kept him on the shelf this week. It happened once. It could happen again, right? I mean, I think that's the problem. I think that's got to be a concern with all of these unvaccinated players, Scott, is we've seen now most teams have an iteration of somebody not vaccinated being either a close contact or testing positive. And we now know based on what these protocols show us, just how long those players are forcibly being asked to stay away from team facilities. So you just can't have that with any, with any significant role. And there's no big, there's no role bigger than the quarterback. So I I think this was Bill Belichick saying, look, he got outplayed anyway. Let's not even have this, Let's not even have the possibility of this happening again in our locker room. To me, that's what it is. And I know that's harsh, but I have to, as I've been sitting here doing these cuts all day, Scott, and all day yesterday, there's a trend. (laughs) I hate to say it, but there's a trend in that direction. Whereas if you are up against two or three other guys and you are unvaccinated or you have COVID issues in in your past, meaning maybe you've been a little lax with your... hmm, with the way you've approached things, you're out. You're out right now. Just because teams are, it, it's, a, it's a team process. The league has put its foot down and said, we're going to make it harder for guys who aren't, didn't get the shot. And now that's kind of come to fruition. It's kind of come to the service with a lot of these organizations that have seen firsthand, this is a pain in the ass, right? <laughs> we, we don't, not only is it going to be an issue for wins and losses, but it's a pain in the ass to have to adjudicate on, on a daily basis. So, I do think there's a lot of players losing jobs right now because of it. And that's unfortunate, but it, it's, that's from the top down. The NFL made their stance. And, you know, if you didn't comply with that stance, you are on the outside looking in in a lot of cases here. Any thoughts on that? No, I completely agree with what you're saying. Yeah. It, 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 I think from a backup quarterback standpoint for the Patriots, they obviously think Stidham and Hoyer is enough to. Yeah. Hoyer's got so much experience points. there. Yeah. So let me ask you this. Is there a team that's going to take a flyer chance on Mm. Cam Newton that you're hearing or is, is he done right now? What are your, what are you hearing? You know, I, it would be hypocritical for me to say what I just said and then also say he's definitely getting another job. So I'd say it's probably, it's likely, but it's not definitely, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Teams who, maybe don't have the uh, the stance that I just laid out. Maybe they, they, they don't care as much and they'll take players who can play. I think Dallas is a big possibility. I really do. Um, they released two backup quarterbacks today. They, there's still one on that roster in Cooper Rush, but they, they saw firsthand what happened when their QB1 went down last year. And if they could have some sort of semblance of a similar type player, certainly not... <laughs> you know, age or production able like Dak Prescott would be. But I think Dallas is a real possibility here. I really do, Scott. Okay. Yeah. Um, anything else? Uh, just for the numbers, if you haven't seen him on Twitter and, and, and whatnot, 
He gets three point six million cash, Cam, to walk away here. He made two million on a signing bonus, a hundred hundred thousand dollar workout bonus, which has been completed. And he's got a $1.5 million base salary that's fully guaranteed, but that does have offsets. So if he signs with Dallas at the minimum, which is a little over a million dollars, that will come off of the Patriots cash and cap. So it'll be about 425000 owed from the Patriots at that point in terms of his base salary. So it's not like he didn't, you know, he didn't take anything with him, Scott. He's getting a decent amount of pay to walk away here. So I guess in that regard, if he wants to sit this one out at age 32, and just take his 3.6 mil and go home. He can, and, and maybe you know, come try to come back when the COVID stuff, hopefully, isn't as prominent and the league protocols have changed and gone back a little bit. That's certainly his right, and he has made good cash from an offseason role to, to earn that. But I do think there'll be some teams at least calling from a backup position because we've seen it. I think the Chargers could use a better backup. I think the the Cincinnati could use a better backup. Any of these young quarterback situations, you should have a savvy vet in there. And Cam's been pretty good, I think, over the past couple of years at understanding what what he is. And it seemed like he was on a better track. It really did. But Mac outplayed him. I can't get off that that side of this argument. Mac outplayed him. So I'm excited to see that. By the way, the, uh, the ages of AFC East quarterbacks, did you see this today, Scott? It's like 25, 22, 22, 23. It's crazy. Wow. It's nuts. And Allen just got paid. Otherwise, this would be four rookie contract quarterbacks in the AFC East. Pretty bonkers mm. stuff. So That is. And and I did. Hey, let me ask you this. With, with Go, Cam yeah. Newton's dead cap, yeah. if he does sign with Dallas and you say that, that there could be the offset, does that cap um, relief happen in this 2021 season or is that something where it goes adjusted for next off season? Yeah, it's a good question. And it kind of transitions into where we're going next, but it, it is an adjustment next year. And the reason being is he's got to earn it and it's based on exactly what he earned. So for instance, he signs that minimum a little bit over a million dollars, but only, pl- you know, he's only on the roster for the next nine, 10 weeks, whatever the prorated cash is that he takes home with him. That's what is reduced from the 1.5 million for the Patriots. So we've we've got to see how the math works out at the end of the season before there can be any kind of cap credit in 2022. So if he's if he's signed in week five and then released mm-hmm. at week ten, it's based on those five six weeks that he was actually. Yep, it's earned. actual cash earned. Okay, based on the proration or based on the full season, however it works out. So that's why there's a waiting game, and you know the similar situations with per game active bonuses for players. That's why. If they're not likely to be earned, you get some cap relief. But if you earn them all, then next year you have to account for that cap. That's why there's adjustments on team caps and things like that. And speaking of which, Scott, I know you want to get into some FAQs on NFL financials as a whole. So fire away, man. Yeah, I've got a list here more so of people trying to learn and understand that are just joining us or finding out about us is let's just start with top 51 versus all (laughs) Because I know you get that all the time. What's yeah. the difference? I saw someone ask it uh, this week about it. So what is the biggest difference with top 51 versus all? Yeah. So I'll quickly explain, Scott. But then I'd love, I'd love to hear your thoughts on if it should exist. Because it's the only league that has this. It there's is. A, there's, a, there's a touch of it in the NBA, which I can get to at the end. But I'll. Uh, this is basically what it is. So NFL rosters can carry 90 players during the offseason, right? So once this league year starts, you can pump it up and add UDFAs and all this stuff and get yourself to 90, which everybody does. Almost everybody carries a full 90 through the offseason and then 
you know, flexes here and there as needed. Now we're in the midst of these cuts. So there were three durations of cuts. I think it was 87, 80, and now 53. It would be crazy for teams to have to be cap compliant with 90, 90 players on the roster. Think about how that would work from, a, you know, the rookie wage scale and how, and how there's a variety of, of salaries. You'd never be able to pay anybody during the off, during the offseason because you'd be squeezing 90 contracts into the into a ridiculous salary cap situation. So the league basically says, okay, do what you have to do. Carry your 90 players from a roster standpoint. Only the top 51 cap hits on that roster will be counted during the offseason. So that's the only way you need to be compliant. Whatever the cap is, 188, 192, whatever it's going to be over the next couple of years here, during the offseason, your top 51 cap hits and then dead cap and all the other, you know, all the other entities that go with the roster. But the top 51 active cap hits are all that counts during the off season. The second we get to week one, everybody counts. So now you're down to a 53 man roster, practice squad, reserve list, dead cap, all that. Now everything on the table has to be compliant with the salary cap. So that's why there's teams. You're going to see restructures. You're going to see some releases. You may see some veteran releases as well as teams try to finagle down to that other full cap metric. So if you're looking at our cap tracker, that's why we have four columns for this stuff. There's a top 51 cap space. There's a top 51 cap allocation. There's the same for total cap and total cap space. Those are the two iterations. Top 51 is your off-season figures. Total is what happens when we start week one. So teams, you can see how teams need to, need to shift from now until week one and vice versa. But that's the gist of what they do. And Obviously, you can you know I kind of broke down why they do it, Scott. Would it be beneficial for the NBA to do this? They kind of do, right? Because they allow you to have more roster spots during the offseason. Yeah, but the difference with the NBA is they can sign players to what's called Exhibit 10 contracts where their cap doesn't count until they're actually physically on the roster after for like day one. Um so oh, that's in interesting that, for like UDFAs in football, right? If you could carry like a, like an off season contract, right? Right. So, and there's some stipulation with the exhibit 10 where, uh, it's covering for injury and, and that kind of stuff. So it's a specific contract for those guys that are coming into training camp. And if for some reason they do make the roster, their cap automatically hits sure. the books for that season. They just have to remove somebody else. Um, so it is a similar situation, but, you know, looking at the Patriots, you, you've got some of these guys on minimum contracts where they have a cap hit there, but there's no guaranteed signing bonus or anything like that where it, it's going to mm, never affect the cap. So in in the NBA with these exhibit tens, it is you get your base salary. There is no mm. guaranteed to it. And then they can uh, if they waive them. There, nothing hits the books, but there's other standard contracts where they may sign and give a thirty uh, $30,000 guaranteed out of it. Hmm. And if they're cut, then the 30000 would hit as dead cap. So it, it's a similar situation that the NFL has, but I get it. The NFL has going from 90 to 53 is way different than going from 19 to 15. Um, but... 
I get why the NFL does the top 51, but it is confusing to yeah. a, a normal person trying to follow. It's almost like the NFL just needs to eradicate the top 51. And in the off season, you, you can have as much on your books as possible, but I've then you have this. your threshold yeah. that you have to be down to cap neutral by instead of the league year being cap neutral, it's by September 1st, you have to be cap neutral down to 53. And during, you know, between beginning of March and the end of, uh, August, you can have whatever on your books as you want, and then you're just going to have to figure it out. I guess the, the, the only problem with that, Scott, is is that you could sign a super team. <laughs> you know, like you could go and, and bring in, for instance, you know, the Bills and the Patriots are division rivals, right? The Patriots need tight ends. The Bills know it. The Bills just bring in all the tight ends and block the Patriots from being... You understand where I'm going with this? And then I September do, 1st, force, they dump them. Yeah, but but <laughs> wouldn't that force some movement too? Oh, yeah. Then It'd be interesting as hell, but I don't know if it's fair. <laughs> no, but from a, if they stockpile... I don't know if it's fair either, but I'm playing devil's advocate here where if they stockpile those tight ends and then they want to use them as trade pieces to you know, get a fifth or a right. sixth round, which they are going to use three or four four fifth and sixth rounders to move up to a fourth or a third rounder, then I guess there's a little bit of gamesmanship there, but I, I, I do see the benefit of having it because it does keep at least the threshold. Yeah. I, I think I, I think I would almost rather them, you know, if the, if the, the cap that they have is for a 53 man roster plus everything else, do like a proration of divide that by 53 and then times it by 90 to get what mm. your off season cap would be instead of having to do the math of getting rid of the base salary, only keeping what the signing bonus would be or what's guaranteed. Just make it a prorated amount, sort of like a, a, a maximum f- sure. ceiling of the cap. And then you have your cap. It's interesting. It's it's, an, it's definitely a different look. I just think they have to increase the cap. <laughs> you know, the the total cap. Uh, the fact that it's down is a problem for me. You know that everybody knows that at this point. But um, it is confusing. So I'm happy to answer those kind of questions whenever they come up. What else? Anything else in terms of the uh, finances of the NFL right now? Yeah, we're seeing a lot of trades in the NFL, you know, rounders. I mean, I, I know how trades work, but for the person that's trying to understand, w- what is the difference between a player getting traded and how their cap and cash gets split between the new team and the old team? I'm going to use an example that I think actually may be a real-life example soon. I'm going to use Nick Foles. I have a feeling that Nick Foles may be on the move, although the Cam Newton situation may have thwarted that conversation. But uh, Nick Foles has two years left in his contract and it's almost all guaranteed. I can actually confirm this with his agent yesterday because there's some discrepancies being thrown around in a lot of these articles. Uh, he's got quite a bit of guarantees left here. His, his $4 million salary this year is fully guaranteed. His $4 million roster bonus next year is fully guaranteed and a million of next year's salary is fully guaranteed. So that's $9 million in cash. That's fully guaranteed. The reason I'm bringing his up is... There's dead cap and there's dead cash on his roster. So let's say he does get traded and there's two years left, which is a lot, which allows us to bring in the post June 1st situation. So, so in, just off the top, there's no, 
matching requirements for NFL trades um, like the NBA has with finances. In fact, the majority of the trades in the NFL are player for picks. It's very rare to see player for player. We did just see one with Cincinnati and the Giants. They traded offensive linemen, which was awesome. I love seeing it. And I think we'll get a couple more of those little ones coming up down, you know, down the docket here today. But generally speaking, it's a team that is trying to offload cap. And the way to do that is to get picks back for a player. I think that's probably what the Bears are looking for here. You know, a couple late round picks for Nick Foles. Here's how it works. He had a signing bonus. There's two two years left of cap for that signing bonus because we're after June 1st. And I'll, I'll make that a part of this conversation, Scott, the post-June 1st designation. Because it's after June 1st, teams are allowed to split the dead cap, the bonus dead cap from this year and anything going forward. So whatever his signing bonus is this year, that stays this year. Any future signing bonus could push into next year. So there's a little bit of cap relief in terms of the dead cap in that regard. Cash though, Scott, totally different animal. So because this year's salary, next year's roster bonus, and part of next year's salary are all fully guaranteed right now, if he's traded or released, excuse me, if he's released, that gets pushed all into this year. So you're talking about $9 million of cash would be put into this year for Nick Foles if they cut him in Chicago. Any kind of cash that's guaranteed is accelerated to the current year. So bonus proration can split after June 1st. Cash has to accelerate to this year. And that's how the dead cap would work for this situation in a, in a release. In a trade, everything just kind of stays as it is. The bonus dead cap stays with the Bears. It would split over two years. The rest of the contract stays intact and goes to the new teams. Let's say the Colts. I don't know. Let's say it's the Colts. The Colts will then get his $4 million this year, fully guaranteed. They'd get $8 million next year, $5 million guaranteed. It just stays like it is. And you pull the bonus dead cap out and we keep on going forward. So it's it's a little bit confusing. And I, and I'm you and I have talked, Scott, about being able to show this a little bit better on the site. It's something I think that's on our to-do list of maybe quickly, if you're looking at Nick Foles' contract on Track, can we provide like a button that immediately shows you what happens if, if it's a traded contract and right. the, the dead cap goes away and, and the cash stays and things like that. I think that'd be a, probably a useful tool for a lot of people out there. But from a quick explanation standpoint, that's sort of how it works. Cash transfers bonus dead cap stays. And because we're after June 1st, it splits over the next two years. Okay. Let's go to um, rules with the IR because I saw you do Mm. some tweeting about the IR this afternoon. So what are the rules? I know there's certain stipulations between, you know, before the season versus once week one starts, when players can come back designated, how many of those are there? What can you say about that? Yeah, I did tweet this today, and it's important this time of year specifically because we're right on the threshold of where it changes. Um, and by the way, it's updated rules because of the protocols we're in right now for, from COVID standpoint. So in terms of the injured reserve, any player who's been already been placed on the injured reserve up until 4 p.m. today, they're out for the season. The only way for them to get back this season is they need to be released out of their current contract by that team and they need to re-sign with that team or sign somewhere else on a brand new contract. But anybody placed on the IR prior to final cuts is done for the year in terms of that contract. What you're going to see tomorrow or tonight or in in a couple hours here is, is a ton of players be put on the IR after this cut deadline. And 
because that's the threshold where it changes to you can now designate these players to come back. There's no limit. You can designate as many players as you want throughout the season. And it's not a six-week waiting period anymore. It's a three-week waiting period. So um, I can't think of an example off the top of my head of somebody who's going to be, but there is going to be somebody that's placed. That's a notable name. Let's say Eric Fisher. Eric Fisher for the uh, Indianapolis Colts, the supposed left tackle. He's probably going to be placed on IR in the next couple of hours. All it means is if he's healthy in three weeks, he can come back. If he's healthy in four weeks, he can come back. They're going to designate him as a return player for sure. Reserve PUP, P-U-P, physically unable to perform. Totally different situation. That's the six weeks now. So if you're seeing guys being placed on the reserve PUP list, Michael Thomas, um, I missed that. There's a couple more I did today. I forget. But Thomas is the big one. Oh, David Bakhtiari, the left tackle of the Packers. How could I forget that? They're done for six weeks. They're going to miss the first six weeks of action by rule. And then they can come back after that starting week seven. So there's a big di- big difference in terms of playing time between those two things. The, uh, the, 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 the off-season IR really is a moot conversation now because, like I said, we're hours away from that changing to a position where everybody can be designated to come back at that point. So, And by the way, all of that in terms of the IR and the designations, that's new. That's brand new because of COVID because they expect more players to be, you know, more roster changes to happen. It's probably something that's going to stay, in my opinion. I think they're going to amend the CBA with this. But the way it used to be, Scott, is it was six weeks and it was there was a certain amount of players that could be designated. I believe it was three maybe two, but there were a certain amount of players that each team throughout the year could designate. So it wasn't just a a back and forth type situation. So I I do think though, that's better this way. And I think many of the teams think so as well. Do you think the NFL needs to adopt a better tagging system like the major league baseball has seven day, 15 day or, or, um, you know, or even NHL with long-term versus short-term injured reserve instead of just designating or throwing them in hmm. one section of an IR. You know, can they go? You're a you're a three-week IR or a five or six-week IR, so they're they have to be on the IR for at least a minimum of three weeks or six weeks, and then they can come back after the fact. You know, I think the difference between the IR and the PUP now, the three to six, is probably just about right when you talk about how long the season is, you know? Um, and look, there are many players who don't get designated at all because their injuries are so severe that it's just there's just no chance. So uh, I, I guess I'm not, I, I guess I'm, I'm not super I've, positive on that one, Scott. I understand where you're coming from, and I think it's very, very crucial in Major League Baseball, although they got rid of it. It's really, you know, the seven is just for concussions. The 10 is all is everything now. It's either 10 or 60 now in baseball. So they downsized that process a little bit. And it's been I bring for, it up for fantasy purposes because yeah, if people. Yeah, do, that's right. If they if, if a player like Michael Thomas was designated as yeah. three week or six week, you would at least have a better indication of the time frame of when a player may come back. If you want to keep them on your roster or trade them, do whatever you may want to. Look, I don't um, know if it's better for for real football because of the reasons I just laid out. But you're right, Scott. Transparency is going to start to be something that we have to get more of if we're gambling and, you know, and the leagues and teams are this invested, you know, literally invested at the hip in this whole thing. Transparency is going to be a big part of it. So you may see a push for things like that coming to the forefront a couple of years down the road when people really start to settle into this process. Because you're right. If, the, you know, 
if the Saints are sort of messing around with Michael Thomas here because there's some behind the scenes stuff added into his injury, uh, and we find out about that week 10 when he's still not activated, you know what I'm talking about? And then he's traded at the deadline or something like yep. that. That could get real ugly from a from a betters standpoint, from a Vegas standpoint. So yeah, the the idea for more transparency, I think, is going to be really popular. And you're going to have some situations specifically that really tick some people off with it. What about these practice squads? I know you mentioned guys being signed to practice squads. Do their caps count? What if they are on the practice squad and then they get signed to the active roster and then vice versa? Can they go from an active roster down to a practice squad? How does all that work? Yeah. So the minimum salary this year is about $9,200. So it's about $157,000. If you are a rookie and you spend the whole year on the practice squad, so it's pretty good pay um, compared to what else you know is out there. But pro- the COVID protocol rules really changed this as well. So it's a 16-man practice squad. That's more than was supposed to happen based on the CBA outlines. So teams definitely like that. You can protect four players per week, which means they can't be poached. Um, and six of those players. Six of those players, six of the 16, Scott, can actually have more than two years of experience. So you can shelve some decent vets down there. And last year, we saw it a lot, with, especially with the contending teams. Throw an extra offensive lineman, throw a cornerback, throw a wide receiver down there, maybe even a quarterback that can be brought up. So there's, there's two elements to this. A, every week, teams get two extra roster spots for game day. Same as last year. So there's going to be two guys popping up who are sort of just floating around. And many of these players, you asked about the cap, practice squad counts against the cap. Many of these players will make much more than the 9,200 per week because they are legit vets, like legit players with actual minimum contracts that will just be sitting in the practice squad as those extra players per week. Now, they'll be, you know, a lot of times you'll see teams go and poach those players off the roster, but teams are using this as a bit of a loophole, Scott, right now, where you can. You know, some of these guys who might have been the last cuts today on the final roster, if they can sneak them out of the practice squad and protect them for three or four weeks and use them up and down on game day, it's just depth that they wouldn't have in normal years. So there's a bit of a, a loophole, like I said, with the COVID protocols and the practice squad going on. Can a guy that's injured be placed there as a designated practice squad instead of being thrown on an injured reserve list? There's a practice squad injured reserve. Same rules. Oh, okay. So you, you actually free up a practice squad spot if a player is designated to the injured reserve. <laughs> so it's kind of like its own active roster right now. And, and honestly, teams are treating it that way. There's a, there's a lot of power in depth being utilized with this practice squad. Some of the really good teams, Scott, will do it well. Interesting. Um, let's go to some, some contract-based questions mm-hmm. here. So... I've always asked this question. I don't know if I've ever asked you, but I'm sure there's other people wondering the same thing. What is an option bonus and how does it differ between a signing bonus or a roster bonus? Cause I know we've got those columns on, you know, team page contract pages. What's the difference? Yeah, there's really not much. Um, gen- the, basically it's a signing bonus that isn't given to you at t- the time of signing. So generally they're built okay. into week to year two of these contracts. It's really just the second signing bonus. Look, there is stipulations with them. So for instance, you know, Carson Wentz had an option bonus with a stipulation that said, if the Eagles don't want to exercise this, 
they can basically take this as a base salary escalator for that year and reduce the dead cap over the next four years after that. You understand what I'm saying? So instead of prorating this thing over five years, you can take a huge hit this year, build it into a guaranteed base salary. And then if you want to cut him after this year, it's a hell of a lot easier to do that, even though you just paid him a crap load of money. So there, there are stipulations where these bonuses don't vest or they are declined and something else happens. That's certainly not the case with a roster bonus or a, or a signing bonus. It's pretty cut and dry with the roster bonus. Either you get it or you don't. Um, option bonuses generally have some sort of condition built into them. But for the most part, Scott, their signing bonuses built into year two. So, you know, your, your bigger players, Josh Allen, Dak Prescott, Zeke Elliott, not, not Dak, actually, Zeke Elliott, some of these bigger contracts over the past couple of seasons, it's, it's allowing teams to spread cap out as much as possible over really six years. So you get five years on your first signing bonus. Then you get another five years on your option bonus starting in year two. And you can really spread yourself out cap wise. However, doing that generally gives you a ton of dead cap on that contract without doing anything because that's five years of proration built into a bonus that's paid versus big, big base salaries or roster bonuses that you can restructure and turn those into bonuses as needed. You know where I stand on this. I'd like to keep dead cap off the contract as much as possible, but generally Mm -hmm. the signing bonus option bonus is a way for to to handle these huge contracts from a cap perspective. Do teams get to pick how far out a option bonus or signing bonus is prorated by? So what I mean is if a contract is five years, but they wanted the signing bonus to only be prorated over the three, do they have that option or does it have to automatically be based on five or whatever the contract is lengthwise? Yeah, I've never seen it otherwise, Scott. It's a, it's actually a very, very good question. Um, I've always seen it spread out as much as possible. And in this year specifically, right? We've seen teams add void years to make sure it can spread out the full right. five years. So I haven't seen it otherwise. Generally, if you're going to go that route, you're just going to build in roster bonuses over those two to three years, and then you can restructure as needed from there. But yeah, for the most part, it's the length of the contract or five years max. Okay. Can a player restructure their contract mid-season, or is it only an off-season situation that they can do a restructure? Oh, the Falcons would restructure Matt Ryan at any time ever, Scott. (laughs) They've done it four times over the past three years, and that many, most of those have been in season. Um, a lot of times we'll see it in December as teams are starting to forward think a little bit more and think about the cap coming up in March and all that stuff, especially if they're not a playoff team. But for the most part, um, you know, the majority happened February, March, some happen mid season, but it's uh, anytime throughout the, throughout the 12 months you can restructure. Okay. So that leads me into what are the rules regarding extending a player? Can it happen anytime? Mm. I know, is there any deadlines? Cause I know we've talked about Baker Mayfield, Lamar Jackson, do they have a cutoff? Because in the NBA, you know, we just posted a, an article for NBA extensions for the 2018 NBA draft class mm-hmm. that Keith did, but there's a deadline that those guys need to be extended by late October. Um, is the same situation in the NFL or can they be extended anywhere up until the league year next year? You know, I've always wondered why there wasn't Scott, but there isn't the only, the only hard deadline is the franchise tag situation. So anybody whose franchise tag has until July 15th 
to lock in a multi-year contract. Otherwise, they are playing on the one-year deal for the rest of that season. That's the only end deadline in terms of contracts with the NFL. So Baker and Lamar, they can sign at any point in time throughout the season. Now look, agents and, and players like to put their own deadlines on these because they don't want to be negotiating you know, on a Wednesday when they have a game on Sunday. And a lot of that's just semantics as well. You know, They're trying to put a hard deadline on a team to get things done. But no, there's no actual cut hard date to say, no, at this point in time, no other contract extensions can happen. Just with the franchise tag players, is there an actual deadline? Okay. So if they are extended, their cap would change. Say they were extended in week four, week five, anyone we're talking about, mm -hmm. their their cap would go from whatever it was for weeks one through four. It would change mid-season yeah. for the player and the team. Yeah, there's a lot of morning math there. So for instance, if, the, if it happened after week four, that means four games were played, four weeks were paid. So you'd take the original salary, You'd prorate it for four weeks, and then you would add that to whatever the new salary is. Right? Mm. Uh, so everything has to be mathematically put together because it's not like hockey. It's not like basketball where there's future extensions. Extensions are built in. They just happen the second that they're signed, and current contracts get thrown out, and whatever has to carry over to the new contract does, and they get merged together into what's a mathematical disaster a lot of times. But yeah, yeah it's uh, Baker Mayfield and, and those guys, they can reduce cap hits right now. They can reduce cap hits mid-season. A lot of times we see that. For instance, if they're, you know, you know if, if a team wants to be active during the, the trade deadline, Scott, and they're bringing in a baller, like let's say, the Bron let's say the Packers season goes disastrous and the Broncos get the chance to acquire Aaron Rodgers mid-season, right? Let's just give you the, the biggest, greatest example possible. They would probably have to clear cap space to do that, to bring in Aaron Rodgers at that time. You know, whether that's releasing Teddy Bridgewater, whether that's restructuring the contract of some players, whether that's extending Von Miller, which would be a viable option there to, re to reduce his cap hit to allow for Aaron Rodgers to fit in for the rest of the year. So that's a case right there where you could see a player get actually get actually extended paid in order to help his team out from a cap in the you know week eight, week nine. It's all on the table. It's completely fluid all the time. That's why I, I preach to everybody, don't fall in love with anything in the NFL because it's changing in an hour. Yeah, that, that's an interesting concept that you brought up that, you know, it, it could be week 12, 13 and you do the extension because then you're, you're sort of looking towards the okay. future of how can I even have cap space that I could just roll over into next year because I'm making space now. Bingo, Scott. So that's, that's what December is all about for a lot of teams. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's very interesting. Yeah. Um, what, what happens if a player signs during, you know, week four and with the whole new, extended schedule are the salaries prorated based on 17 games or 18 weeks how, how's that working this year this is actually a big point of contention because not only did they add the extra week scott but they built in and it's with the latest cba players are actually paid now over 34 weeks <laughs> so so it's not an 18 week paycheck anymore it's 34 basically 36 now with the 18 week schedule so it's every every two weeks um these guys, some players, I guess, wanted a little bit more cash stability versus getting a big chunk at once and then having to deal with it for themselves. 
Um, I, I don't think this is going to, going to go over well when more players figure out this is what's happening, but who knows? I, I don't get too much of that inside information. But yeah, it's prorated over 18 weeks. There'll be bonuses built in for a lot of those 18th game checks for contracts that already existed. Uh, you know, there's amendments like roster bonuses if they are actually active for week 18 versus somebody who just signed a new contract and already had it built in. But from a proration standpoint, we're going over 18 weeks now with the 17 game schedule. Do you, do you usually see most of the players that do sign mid season are veteran minimum oh, yeah. contracts or do you see guys that will get more than the veteran minimum, even though it's prorated for the remainder of the year? 99.9 are vet men, Scott. 99.9. Okay. There's if you're if you're a free agent week 6, there's probably a reason for it. <laughs> so is there is there a cap relief sort of like in the NBA where if you're a 2 year or more vet, you get a a cap at the 2 year veteran minimum salary even though like in in Rondo's case, if he signs with the uh Lakers, he's going to make $2.64 million, but his cap hit's actually going to be right. 1.6. So d- does the NFL have a, a situation where that is the case for veterans of two years more or yeah. do they not have that it's, at all? It's four years more. So four plus years of experience, there's there's a, some cap relief on a true minimum contract. So for instance, right now in 2021, anyone with experience of four years to six years, your minimum salary is $990,000. If you sign that one-year $990,000 contract with a team, their cap hit is only $850,000, which is the second-year experience. The same thing happens if you're seven-plus years of experience, but your base salary is $1.075 million. So that's Cam Newton. That's what I'm talking about there. So if Cam signs a minimum with Dallas, his base salary is $1.075 million, but he he only accounts for $850,000 of cap. That's the vet minimum cap relief that you get. And that would prorate, you know, based on what week you signed in both cases. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Last uh, question regarding this is school right now, Scott, (laughs) (laughs) you know, we've, we've seen in the past players that are signed in the postseason. I think we saw with the, the Rams at one point, do those guys, because it's past the regular season, do they, if they sign, do they get counted towards the cap at all or future cap? Do they not count at all? Nothing. They're just on the books? Nothing. They're just trying to get postseason pay with the rest of their team, which is really just a payout. Um, and I think that's probably par for the course with most leagues. But it's a, it's a weird situation if you're kind of taken off the streets during a postseason run because, yeah, you're kind of just there right <laughs> you're 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 working for nothing you're working for for when your winners pay losers get some money too so there's it's not like they're getting absolutely zero dollars to be there um and we'll break down the updated numbers for that later in the year for sure but yeah generally speaking if you're uh if you're added to a team there it's because you want to be there because you're not there for the money <laughs> do, do they get an accrued year so like if you were uh a, a f- three-year veteran and you were signed to a postseason roster in the postseason, do you get that fourth year for a crew to, to go to that next level? Six regular season games. Oh, okay. So no. So like I said, you're that, just being there because you love football. <laughs> that's um, interesting. Uh-huh. And NBA, as soon as you're signed to a contract and you're on the active roster, you ought, even if you're on for one, one 
day you're you get that one year accrued going into that next season so it's interesting there's a lot of differences aren't there there uh, are and, and baseball's even worse it's even harder for you, for you to recur a season in baseball which is what they're going to yell about for the next 4 months but well in the NBA you can't even you can't sign anyone to your roster in the postseason you, you you've seen that can you even where, imagine if they could <laughs> oh i know but, but that we we've we saw that in the nba a couple of years ago when lebron was on cleveland they signed a couple guys on the very last day and they they got what like eight thousand dollars but they were on the roster going into the postseason because they were a free agent and they met the the requirements to be on the roster, but they, you can't sign one once you're in the postseason. So that, that's an interesting difference that in the NFL, even with, you know, even though they have players on their practice squad and those different reserves, they can still sign. You almost think it should just be locked as soon as the postseason hits. Yeah. I think that's probably the right way to go, but yeah, the NFL is, it's very rare that that would happen, but it's a, it's a unique situation for sure. Anything else? Um, yeah, I will. I'll do one more. Okay. You know, you, you do a, a ton of work on your market values. Mm. So for, for those that go to the site, they go to a, a player page, they see market value. What is a market value to those that are, you know, just coming to the site, seeing that kind of information. Well, I got to turn that back on you because you're the guy who created the algorithm. So, uh, yeah, look, it's a formula basically that you and I kind of hashed out over many, many cups of coffee and conversations that we've, you know, been refining year to year. But for the most part, Scott, it's it's money versus stats, and it's you know it's not exactly that simple. There's quite a few mathematical formulas that go into it, but the concept is if I'm evaluating a quarterback, if I'm evaluating Baker Mayfield, I'm going to find four other quarterbacks that a have similar style play. So, you know, it's not going to be an all rushing quarterback being put up against Baker Mayfield, for instance, and B are about the same age and recently have a contract. So I'm not, you know, I'm not going to put Troy Aikman up against Baker Mayfield. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's going to have to be something that's relatively recent. We do adjust a little bit for cap. We certainly adjust for age. So there are some weighted factors built into these things. But from there, it's really just positional production over a two-year period. So what has Baker Mayfield done? Throwing the ball, a little bit running the ball, certainly touchdowns, completion percentages, QB rating, things like that. What has he done over the past two seasons? And then what did other quarterbacks who have recent contracts do two seasons prior to them getting a contract? So it's not just 19 and 20 for all of these quarterbacks that I'm evaluating, it's current players last two years versus other players two years prior to their contract. So Mahomes would be 18-19. Jared Goff would be 17-18. Then what were their stats before they got paid? So I think we've done a nice job, Scott, in that regard of sort of taking out a lot of what could be jaded, right? Because if Jared Goff gets paid and then his stats are terrible after... Well, that shouldn't count towards his contract because he was paid prior to it. You know, right. he was paid. He's paid based on what he did, and that's incorrect to say. A lot of times, people are paid based on what they can be doing, but um, that's how we do it. it. It's other contracts and some and some mathematical formulas on that standard deviations and whatnot, and then standard deviations based on how Baker Mayfield has produced statistically in a variety of categories versus those four quarterbacks. So it's it's been it's 
been pretty good. I, I, I've been really happy with it lately, especially in football and baseball specifically. Uh, we were we were basically nuts on with Robbie Anderson's recent contract. We knew where Jamal Adams was going to be based on his trade pull and all that stuff. So there's a lot of factors. There's a little bit of objectivity because I am selecting the variables for it. Not, none of that is automated. There's no AI built in to tell me you know, exactly who I should use. We do have some rankings so I can kind of go and look who grades well against Baker Mayfield and then use my judgment from there. But it's a pretty manual process. It, there's a lot of math that you've done a nice job on. And for, for the most part, I'm pretty happy with how it's gone. Great stuff here. I, I learned some new things and I'm hoping, you know, the, some people that have started listening to us have learned some new things as well. Yeah. At spot trick on Twitter. Happy to answer these kind of questions. I, they never get old. I understand how stupid and crazy some of this stuff is. And look, Scott knows that, but the NBA stuff as well, he's going to be answering mid-level exception questions till he's blue in the face for the rest of his life. But um, we're happy to answer those kind of things for sure and get, getting down to the Absolutely. nuts and bolts of this stuff. Good stuff, Scott. My thanks to The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash spot track for 40% off your first year subscription. Check out balancebridge.com for all of your guaranteed funding. And of course, Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment. morganstanley.com slash GSE. For Scott Allen, my name is Mike Genetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Track Podcast.